today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. I'm so excited to have Dr. Amanda White on the show today. Amanda is the Managing Director at Freelance Robotics, as well as a psychologist. So this is going to be a very interesting discussion. Amanda, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. Oh, cheers, Nikki. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So you have such an interesting background. Tell us about your journey combining your practice and working at Freelance Robotics. Sure thing. Look, I come from an allied health background. So um, I hold a PhD in the area of psychophysics. And whilst I was doing my research PhD, I also registered as a practicing psychologist through the Psychology Board of Australia. Now, I ran a successful private practice. I did that for just over 10 years in Brisbane South, and I worked with complex comorbid clients. Uh, The reality was after 10 years, I was just ready to do something different. I wanted to expand my skill set further, and I wanted to positively impact the community beyond just the rooms that I was working in. Um, What really piqued my interest in robotics was a Queensland state government forecast back in 2018, and the figures indicated that 850,000 jobs were going to go because of automation and the fourth industrial revolution. Well, that's a really large figure, Nikki, but an even larger number is that they were predicting 1 million jobs were going to be introduced thanks to the industrial revolution. And having worked with people who are probably in the firing line for this job change, I know that they live generally very complex lives and the fact is that they don't have great advocacy skills or career development options. And my question was really, who's going to assist with the support and change management as we move 850,000 people, for instance, factory level workers, um, people who are doing mining and resource type jobs into these new types of roles? Where's the education coming from? And is it going to be effective? Because I understand that if we don't have that vocational education and training in place, what we end up with is systemic unemployment. And this is, I feel, where there's a lot of fear sitting around this idea of job insecurity and robotics. So I thought, well, this is something that I can get my teeth into. I'm ready to do a large-scale job, and I want to get into Queensland. 850,000 people obviously are going to go through change, and I think that's really an underestimate when we start to understand the complexity of what robotics uh, looks like inside of workplaces. I think everyone's job is going to be impacted. It's a natural outcome when we're talking industrial revolution, and this digital transformation is an enormously impactful event and we're just at the tipping point now so this was what really got me going and it's what caused my journey I guess my trajectory to go from more traditional uh, psychology practice into the level of community care and management that I'm currently engaged in. Listen, it's an essential role. This is something that impacts everyone. Just going back to the numbers that you you mentioned there, how yes. how realistic have you seen this play out? You know, like we were talk, we touched briefly just in the podcast pre, um, you know, like predictions that have been made out, and we both thought we should be millionaires based on the predictions <laughs> that have been made. Sadly, to the listeners out there, we are not. So put your money, you know, put your hands in your pocket and support <laughs> us. <laughs> we need to get you a Venmo. <laughs> 
I must get this crowdfunds, crowdsourcing thing. I hear other people are so successful that can come and support. Anyway, so um, like, how have you seen the, this play out? Do you, do you think these the numbers touted are realistic? I, I personally yes. think it's a little bit, but... Um, um, I actually do think it's an underestimate. I don't know about the time frame. Look, let's just uh, have a closer look at manufacturing for a second, because this is obviously an area with industrial robotics I work in most closely. Uh, in Queensland, we had in 2020 the rollout from the um, uh, the International Organization World Economic Forum to make our state an advanced manufacturing hub. On a global stage. Now, this was an interesting choice. And the reason that we were selected was because it's such a difficult playing field in some ways. We have developed in Australia, and I think it's a great idea, the ability for small business to succeed. Everyone has access to an ABN. And uh, it's not difficult to register your business into a company and to actually get underway running. For instance, a manufacturing concern, if that's what you want to do. And we know that over 50% across the country of manufacturing employers, a small to medium enterprise, they host less than 20 staff internally inside of their business. So um, they're a kind of family. I mean, it might be a bit of a dysfunctional family at times and other businesses are, you know, super robust. But when it comes down to it, everyone knows their staff. And what we're doing is we're asking people to go through a change management process that small business, first of all, can't really afford. Um, Robotics and automation requires government assistance. I think we've seen a huge investment, for instance, with the Modern Manufacturing Initiative happening cross-nationally and also with a lot of state government initiatives here in Queensland. I'm sure that all of the states and territories are equally on the front foot when it comes to recognising the fact that we have to do this as a concerted effort. So we're asking, you know, these small businesses to make large-scale investments, but the return on investment is massive. The question is, how do we make sure that we don't end up with any unemployment? This is the the key question for me is, how do we pull everyone's quality of life up? I want to see equity of education, industry for capability, not just for people living in a city. I want to see rural and remote citizens really benefiting from this. People who have maybe historically been... uh, at the point where accessing education support has been more difficult, you know, for instance, um, we might talk about Indigenous persons or maybe women or immigrant populations. They've really struggled sometimes to access equity in education. Industry 4 can't afford that because every single worker, I do believe, is going to be affected. To answer your question, is that 850,000 number a correct estimate? I actually think it's an underestimate, but I don't know about the five-year time frame. On the basis that we're talking for in the manufacturing sector on very small businesses, um, having to do a large amount of change management, um, where I work at Freelance Robotics, we've come up with a solution to that, more of a stepping stone model. And I do think that most businesses will take more than five years for the level of transition that we're talking about which is great news for staff, because I don't think that staff are going to be cut out of industry. I do think, though, that they're going to have to address the skills gap, do some training and really consider what they're looking at as a career, not just a job they're doing because they work pick and pack at the factory, but because in the long term, their quality of life, their income, what they're capable of doing is so much greater than where they're sitting in 2021. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you with the time frame because then you have like uh, this unfortunate uh, COVID um, occurrence and uh, this, this is 
A, been actually quite beneficial for manufacturing in Australia because it's actually got our manufacturing, you know, we've got masks made in Melbourne that who knew that there's actually a factory in Melbourne that made masks and um, all over Australia. But uh, to your point of, you know, um, people are sort of in lower income or like in um, I don't know how I would phrase this, that, that they at risk of losing their jobs. And I always come to the um, conclusion when people say to me, how are your children? And I go, well, I'm as happy as my unhappiest child. So I think you can relate that to society and go a society as well as the, the level of society that is, it's the most disenfranchised and the most vulnerable. That's how robust your society is. You can't look mm. at people that are doing exceptionally, exceptionally well and go, well, this is how well we're doing. It's not. You look at the people that aren't doing well, and that's, that's for me, that's your yardstick. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really, really true. And um, there's definitely an onus of responsibility. And this is to take care of the, the members of our society who are most vulnerable, most at risk. And during change management, particularly when they have what they perceive as a low amount of control over that change, mm-hmm. to make sure that the changes that they're putting in place are ones that they are in agreement with, that they can engage with and see as adding value to their life. I mean, it just helps the community develop that robustness that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And if you've got an engaged person um, on board with the change management that they can see what's going to be the benefit for them, that's just a win-win situation for everyone. Mm, I think so. And it's probably the most respectful way to go about change management. Mm. Um, You know, we're going to talk a a bit today, I think, probably about the RoboTradies program. And this segues perfectly into looking at that in more detail. The reason that I put together a program to go into industry and support the vocational education and training of existing workforce, this is actually a really large part of that like process in my mind was the idea of getting some bottom-up change management going, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the top-down change management where the people who are the bosses, who are the executives who are making decisions around projects and technology engagement, very rarely properly engaged with their staff if we're being fair I think it's a time management issue and also when you're in strategic direction for your business you don't always consider that the staff who are doing the job day to day you know their opinion might actually add value to the way in which projects roll out because decision making is on that top down tree rather than the bottom up tree So I decided let's go in and actually talk to the workers and figure out what their needs are. These are the people who are utilising the technology. They know how to optimise the technology for their workplace. And the number one reason that technology projects fall down inside of these kinds of workplaces is that the staff don't want to engage with the technology or a key man scenario arises where you've got maybe one person who's really very effective on that piece of kit but once they leave or if there's an injury or who knows what's going to happen to that person in the real world when they walk out of that building no one else can utilize the equipment anymore and it has a massive impact upon I guess the value that equipment can offer to a workplace and the return on investment we're seeing huge amount of wastage if we're being honest from the industry three uh, rollout of technologies like um, more traditional robotics equipment and so part of what we're doing is making sure that we're not getting any human wastage and also that the wastage of technology is not going to to be ongoing if you've already invested 
you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into a robot, for example, and it needs to be reprogrammed, refitted, repurposed, we can do that at Freelance Robotics as well. It's about making sure that the human and the machine interface is working optimally inside of the business. You know what, I can't agree with you more because even with um, robotics, just as as my chili presence robot, there's a change management process that you have to go through to explain to people this robot is not going to take your job. Um, Take it from me, they're simply not smart enough. So please do not be afraid of a telepresence robot coming into your environment. It's there to assist you to do your day-to-day duties. But you do need to take the time for any robotic or automation implementation to sit down and explain to your staff, in fact, this will free you up to do other things that you may actually find more interesting and more rewarding for your job. Mm, Yeah. And at the end of the day, when we get at some more case examples when there's more norming taking place I think that a lot of the insecurity that people like in it's entirely reasonable that they feel because we're talking about large-scale change and not a lot of examples of success in the community at this early phase of uh, engagement once we get some more success stories and it becomes normalized I think those sorts of conversations that you and I are having at the moment with staff will become less relevant because confidence will just automatically start to rise. We found that with the introduction of computers in the workplace. And for example, you know, go back 30 years ago, we didn't have the internet. And now we're talking about integrating an industrial internet of things. Life without the internet for most people these days would be really difficult. You'd have to pick up the encyclopedia instead of going to Wikipedia. Wouldn't that be bizarre? But at the end of the day, when we have an industrial internet of things, the level of report information, the metrics, the capacity to understand um, stock and throughput and what it means for uh, outcomes, not just for the business, but for the worker and their quality of work and their sense of understanding and control in the workplace, I don't think people will want to go backwards. They're just going to want to go forwards. We're finding that already. You and I are having this meeting right now on Zoom. Um, It's a teleconference uh, platform like there's a few that have come about go back three years ago I used these extraordinarily rarely if we were having this meeting you're in Melbourne and I'm in Brisbane you and I would have said oh let's wait till we can tee up a time when we happen to be traveling to the same point and we'll, we'll have a sit-down conversation and there would have been audio equipment it would have been a huge investment but now we can literally just uh, interrupt an hour of our days to make the time to actually develop a meaningful communication and I think that's a wonderful step forward And we're finding that no one wants to take a step backward when they start to experience the benefits of technology. Oh, definitely. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, Wi-Fi, but actually Wi-Fi speed comes first, I think. So never mind the Wi-Fi, it's the Wi-Fi speed. (laughs) We're so ungrateful. Like we we have Wi-Fi. How fast is it? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. NBN, I'm looking at you. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's lift your game. Uh, Just back to the Roto Robo Tradies program. Talk to me a little bit more about this. So is it already like it's a functioning, like you've rolled it out or are you still busy developing it? What's going Um, look I'm still developing it it's a tailored program I always worked in tailored programs that was the way in which I managed my business when I was a full-time psychologist working one-on-one with people and I find that tailored programs really speak most effectively to the outcomes that you're looking to deliver and because it's a tailored program and we've only been running it for a year it means that there isn't necessarily a very set structure I have what I would consider to be a very firm lattice around the idea of change management, how we introduce that. Um, 
certainly coming into this idea that inside of any business we need to have uh, what has historically been labelled a change champion. Um, businesses may be not that responsive to the idea of change champions. Um, it sounds a little bit primary school, so I'm still coming up with some better labelling systems, I think, to introduce these topics into, you know, uh, more robust work environments. But these tailored programs come in and we look at assessment, support and training for the workplace as it stands. Uh, one of the things that I've realised and was very interested in understanding was my belief that the white-collar, blue-collar divide was historic. It's not. Uh, it's actually something that most workers out there deal with on the day-to-day, this sense of uh, structural inequity inside of employment. It's, a, it's not just something that happened in the 1950s. And there's a lack of communication often between the office staff and the people who are working on the floor. That's not comprehensively true, but it's extremely common um, that even though they're working every day in the same building as a fellow worker, they don't see themselves as people who interact with each other because of their roles, defining them as people who don't interact with each other, essentially. So um, the thing that businesses are learning is that when digital transformation comes into their business, it doesn't just impact the factory floor, which was the case in Industry 3. In Industry 4, the management team, sales, uh, office administration, the executive all need to upskill as well because of the way in which the uh, technology is allowing the machinery to interact. So you have amazing amounts of data coming through, uh, which is great, but you need to know how to use that data. It's not redundant data. It's actually core business data. So changing the way that people are looking at their business means that suddenly they have to not only view themselves and their roles as part of this change, but how they interact with staff that previously they didn't see their role as interacting with at all becomes crucial to get the most optimal outcomes for the factory. It's been extremely interesting. So the Robo Tradies program is fundamentally a human resource management program. Um, like I said before, we're going not just with a top-down view, although certainly when we're doing technology rollouts and I pair robo-tradies when we go in to do a big project, um, the technology rollout is happening and robo-tradies occurs in parallel. And from day one, I sit down and I ask, who's training on this robot? Who's responsible for training? You know, is this part of your ISO? What have you done about it? What systems do you have? And when I walk out of here, what systems do you not have now that you will have to have to be able to maintain an ongoing vocational education and training program inside of your business? Um, The hard part is that most businesses aren't set up for training. That's understandable. They, They have never had to do that. And this idea that it's an investment and not going to cost them. Small business owners want to make sure that training is going to not impact outcomes. They need those employees to be working on the floor, not being pulled out to go and do courses. No one's going to take a six-month course. It's just not going to happen that you would allow, when you have less than 20 workers, one of your staff to be permanently reallocated into an education facility. So it's really on-the-job training. We make sure that we have a team of workers who will not only learn how to utilize the new technology, but also that they can train others so that they can then propagate the knowledge over time. We have um, at Handover a very easy process for Handover because everyone who's going to be trained was fully informed on the project. They understand their role. They understand uh, the technology. They've been engaged in the project rollout 
often if it's an R&D, so the research and development, and there's been lots of toing and froing between the business and our uh, engineering team, it means that they participated in those conversations. They haven't been locked out and they don't just have to suddenly deal with um, like a baby being delivered to them. On, yeah, and now suddenly you're responsible day. for this and I know like what happened, how did this all, but you didn't actually yeah. ask me, yeah, you know. Yeah. That's right. And the metrics that the, the company needs to make uh, the, the technology most successful, often the people who know what those metrics that we're meant to be tracking are, well, that's the person who works on the machine every day. Yeah. And what, what the business management think that they're looking for can actually not always be the best use of that technology. So we're finding that organisational health improves over the course of RoboTradies. Um, we've had a lot of success with it. I have some good case studies that I'm developing at the moment, um, but I really want to keep this program as a tailored program so that we're not going to end up with a essentially, um, you know, a, a modular, like this is how it's going to be run yeah. system because otherwise we forget to listen to the people that we need to pay attention to yeah. to make these projects really healthy. Amanda, I feel here's another podcast like eight months from now just focusing on this because I think it's an absolutely fascinating area you're touching on. And mm. I think um, for the adoption of other small companies to see how they improve their technology take-up, to see it done in other companies is going to be the, the clincher for our whole industry forward mm. if they can see it's been done successfully at other places. I, I absolutely agree. And at the moment, I'm quite blessed in that I can set some rules down. And one of my rules is that whoever engages in the RoboTraders program, whatever company takes it up, must agree to retain 100% of their employees. Yeah. So that, that means that the technology that we're putting in won't cost a single job. And additionally, they will invest in the training required to upskill the staff that they have. So um, the businesses are really enthusiastic about that because I often find that is what the um the staff are looking for and what the management teams are looking for they want job security of and course, so Robo yeah. Tradies ensures that yeah. yeah so anyone in Australia looking to do like a serious change management um with robots and automation Amanda is your go-to person on it so not only do you do that, like we, we can stop there, but like you actually have other responsibilities. So you're responsible for developing the industrial robotics division at Freelon. Yes. So let's just pile it on. Like, so what are you doing there? Okay. <laughs> um, well, RoboTrade is nests underneath industrial robotics. Okay. So um, it, it's a hand-in-hand hand kind of process. So we're uh, not a bunch of freelancers. Freelance Robotics is actually an established engineering firm. We work in mechatronics, robotics, automation, prototypes, custom software, custom hardware. And the reality is that we realize that the term freelance doesn't market well to businesses, which is understandable. They're not looking to hire a freelancer. They're looking to hire an engineering firm. So the decision was made quite historically now, maybe five or so years ago, that we wanted to provide um, specialty divisions to deliver the work to the markets that need the robotics and automation suitable for their area. <clears throat> so that means industrial robotics is actually the first of what we're hoping to be a series of rollouts um, that will be coming in the next few years that are once again tailored, bespoke, designed to interact with the market that needs this type of work to be completed for them. Industrial robotics was an easy 
first go uh, because there's so much manufacturing that requires assistance to get into the next phase of uh, technology and what that means to benefit their businesses. If we go back to 2019, I applied for a grant um, in Queensland, the Department of Employment, Small Business and Training. It's a state department. They offered me a digital marketing grant. And I said, yes, please, uh, I will take that. And the idea was that we would get things that people can see and recognize, a web page, a logo, uh, social media interaction, um, yeah, brochures, things, <laughs> things that you need to be able to promote a business. And so before we actually had a business we said well let's let's build what the division looks like and make some serious decisions about um, strategy business plan and uh, what the rollout will be that was our first stage of development and then COVID hit in 2020 and you noted right at the beginning and very correctly that COVID impact for manufacturers across nationally has been uh, generally a positive it's actually required considerable pivots um, so businesses are working in supply chain areas they may not have previously been engaged in or they've upgraded the sort of work that they're doing to better meet the needs of the supply chain um, as a result of COVID impacts upon the economy. Uh, also, we also mentioned the um, advanced manufacturing hub status for Queensland with the World Economic Forum. So it just happened to be really well-timed that we in 2019 set up a division that was going to capitalise on a lot of uh, government investment. Now, industrial robotics doesn't go for grants and tenders and all these sorts of things. What we do is we coordinate our uh, customers so that they can get the benefit of those grants directly and they have the control over what the intellectual property of this project will look like. Um, freelance Robotics has always held the belief that we don't want your IP, your IP is for you. Uh, that means that when you employ us, we make sure that we're delivering the system that is required by the customer, not the system that we have, um, which has been fantastic. As we've moved into 2021, we're clarifying the roles of freelance robotics versus industrial robotics, separating those businesses out more um, clearly. Uh, for example, we have a lot of on-sell of robots from quality providers such as Universal Robots, Omron, KUKA, ABB. And so the question is, for instance, who's going to retail those robots and who's going to hold the prototyping jobs? And we have developed in-house products such as an industrial Internet of Things called the Blue Dragon Framework, as well as a freelance robotics autonomous navigation system called France. And the question is, you know, who's going to hold our in-house products and, and what does that mean in terms of the engineering staff service delivery? So we're at that point now of disengaging the two entities more clearly. And then within the next 18 months, our next planned division will be in agricultural robotics. Um, I also have quite a strong passion for smart cities technology. And I think that that one will also be on the short term radar for us as well. Listen, I'm amazed you've got time to sit and talk to me because I'm listening at all this work you have to do. I'm, I'm just like, I'm having a little anxiety attack here. <laughs> I know how much work this is. I'm absolutely in awe. I think what an exciting journey you're on. And it, it, it's so interesting, the work that you're doing. So thank just, you. Further to that, you're on the leadership board of the Queensland Robotics Cluster. So 
Yes. Um, just let's just add it on. People listen, you're dealing with a superwoman. Yeah, like all the women I interview when I get off the shows, I go, Oh my goodness, I don't think I'm working hard enough. <laughs> no, you're working more than hard enough. I think that um uh, just just as a bit of an aside, I think that the superwoman mentality doesn't do any of us any service. Um, you know, no. we're all managing to juggle our balls and we do this because we have different skill sets. You know, um, so I was I was speaking to someone just before the podcast. And I mentioned, like, I'm I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking with you, and like what you've done. And I said, Oh, look, you know, I know, I know this the superwoman nonsense, but like seriously, like you you've you've done an amazing amount of things. So this is your podcast, and I'm allowed to say it. You like you are absolutely fantastic. So tell me what are you doing in the robotics cluster? <laughs> oh, I'm blushing. Thank you. Um yeah, the, the robotics cluster, this is really amazing. I'm I'm actually extremely excited about being a participant in this new form of advocacy and governance for industry. So clusters operate differently to, say, industry associations and, and these kinds of um, entities that we may be more familiar with. The cluster is designed to integrate more effectively uh, industry and at the moment we have in Queensland over 150 companies uh, affiliated already with the cluster so it's it's starting on very strong feet but how do we integrate industry better into education academia governance um, as well as startups and venture capital which in Queensland and certainly actually across Australia venture capital access has been uh, something that we don't commonly utilize as opposed to maybe say the UK and the USA which have excellent agreements between them in terms of venture capital access. Industry has so much to do in robotics. We have an amazing group of highly educated, highly competent people who want to get this work done for the state and we don't want to see that brain drain we lose actually a huge volume of our graduates mechatronics engineers are the fastest growing cohort of uh, engineering graduates the universities are now pumping out probably thousands of them (laughs) definitely hundreds if not thousands annually and the question is where are they going the Australian Bureau of Statistics still doesn't even have mechatronics engineer listed as an employment category so you know what are we meant to do engineering Australia is still not quite on the front foot enough when it comes to recognizing the fact that this group of engineers doesn't rest under electrical or mechanical they are actually their own beast it's the next wave of what engineering requirements are going to look like so that we can feed appropriate you know skill sets into every single industry it's it's incredible so um over at the the cluster on the leadership board i sit there with a group of very experienced um advocates uh some from industry some from government and our executive chairman is a man named andrew scott and everyone is really on the same page i think when it comes to looking at what we can do to more effectively develop technology um, greener technology and certainly uh, in, ter- in technology equity across the entirety of our state. Yes, listen, I know Andrew, and for anyone interested in other robotics um, podcasts, he's got the Queensland Robotics. Queensland Robotics podcast that if you Google that you'll find his chats there 
Um, he's had some great guests, so make sure to listen to those interviews as well and give him a like and follow him as well. You know, Amanda, the thing is, you know, I, I speak to like a range of people across Australia, and the thing that always strikes me about Queensland is your cohesiveness, and um, you do have different sort of uh, groups working, but they're all going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. If we could just have the whole of Australia now doing the same thing, and I know like the robotics roadmap that you were involved in as well, um, you were chair mm-hmm. on one of the, the sectors there. Um, I, I think largely when I speak to people, I'm still amazed that people don't know about each other. And actually yesterday I felt I was I said, oh, I didn't even know about this. And you've just mentioned someone to me about the age of robotics. I went, I didn't know about that person. So immediately introduced me. And I think um, I think it's our duty as people working in this, this space, robotics, um, manufacturing, is to reach out to others and say, hello, here I am. I don't know if you know about me, but maybe I can assist you with something. And I don't think, by and large, um, this cohort of people are really good at doing that. Well, you know, we all have our own skills, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, engineers sometimes get, get painted with the brush of not being necessarily the most um, communicative. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think everyone's just working really hard. That's what and I think, yeah. When we are all got our heads inside of our business, it's hard to work on our business. So I'm in a privileged position in that I do get the, the capacity to work on the business as well as help found an amazing cluster for, for the state. Um, you know, Nikki, have you heard the terminology red ocean, blue ocean? I have, but just explain yeah. it to our audience. Okay. So uh, what we're doing is comparing a red ocean environment to a blue ocean environment. And for robotics, this is a very interesting question. So in a red ocean environment, that would be where a business would enter into the, the waters of the marketplace and find a lot of competition. Essentially, it's a feeding frenzy. The customers are getting pulled between a lot of different entities. And the, the people who are big players inside of this system um, are cannibalizing everything. It, it becomes a very aggressive, very powerful paranoid almost workplace to be engaged inside of you know company discussions is very very hard because there's only limited work available and everyone wants that work so robotics and automation is still in its founding years and the exciting thing is that we have a blue ocean mentality which means that everyone can enter the water safely there's plenty of customers we are able to work collaboratively and we don't have to be in a high competition stakes. In fact, it works better when we collaborate because it's generally the case that you have some skills or some resources that my company doesn't have. Or, you know, we have the ability to share IP on a project. And when it comes down to commercialization, you know, like we can be reasonable human beings about what that means. You know, people aren't just calling the lawyers and getting into each other's face and being a more traditional aggressive marketplace for for the robotics and automation people thankfully and one of the things that's deep at the heart of the cluster is that we want to keep the collaboration going we don't want to form into this competitive aggressive negative space particularly when we're fostering a new cohort a different type of engineer the majority of our engineers are still relatively early career and so what we do and demonstrate right now is going to make huge differences in terms of their capacity to work 30 to 40 years time when they're professional mentors um, we're looking forward to a time that we sort of grow the seeds today into what we want to see in in terms of our profession in the coming years 
definitely plant the seed today for the tree you want tomorrow so what's the saying when's the best plant time to plant a tree if you haven't done it it's today and then tomorrow so get on with the work so right. what what excites you about the work that you're doing clearly you're passionate I can see it here it's an audience you can't see Amanda's face but it's lit up and she's just um, full of energy and vibrancy so like what gives you your zing Fundamentally, like the, the trajectory that I've always had is what can I do to help? Like it's, it's really that simple. And when I was working one-on-one with people, people with severe mental health problems, uh, as well as the everyday kind of person, it was a wide variety of people. But uh, what gave me the zing then was being able to sit down and problem solve and really get into the nitty gritty of, of what change management looked like. And now what we're doing is just mushrooming that experience into uh, a phenomenal group of people. We're talking about potentially the economy of the country and the idea that I could help with that. That's enough. I don't need to be, you know, given any awards or any gross amount of thanks or, you know, positions. What I need to do is to deliver the, the level of skills that I can deliver most effectively. I think it's fabulous. And you said me leaving a great legacy. So, Speaking of legacies, do you have a mentor? Um, I always ask everyone. I'm always sure. fascinated what they say. And um, tell us about, uh, you're already a mentor, I'm sure, to others. But do you have one personally? Um, so as a psychologist, coming from a health background, effective supervision is emphasised for best practice. We have to. We have to legally um, engage with professional supervision. We have minimum hours of requirements for our psychology registration. So this for me has just been, I guess, a healthy habit I've had inside of my business practice since uh, my early 20s when I was first fortunate enough to understand the benefits of having uh, supervision relationships with people who are experienced and can guide the decisions that you're making so that they're more ethical and that they're according to national standards. Um, I think that moving from a psychology background into more of a business and organizational stream um, role, the interesting thing is that I've held that belief very strongly and I do strongly believe in mentorship. For the company, um, we engage with a Pro Trade United, which is an organization that offers business coaching as well as mentorship to companies across Australia and New Zealand, particularly to tradies, actually. So, um, they're certainly interested in the way in which the everyday kind of worker who's working inside of their business can grow a really healthy business. Uh, Pro Trade United has been fantastic for our company. When we first started off, as it was more of a freelancer model to go into small to medium enterprise. And then now we're growing up considerably into a larger scale enterprise. And what that means is that we've had support from you know people who are very experienced in business and can provide the guidance that we simply don't have the courses that they do are all tailored to your business so the the work that you're doing is is on your company you're building your own documentation you're not just you know reading reading papers or reading books but um look I want to highlight the role of informal mentorship as well as a general rule, if you're speaking with someone who's more experienced and succeeding in work roles that you're interested in developing, look, engage with them. Ask some questions. You can ask for resources, ask for feedback on the work you've done. But developing your professional networks is really invaluable. 
So don't hesitate. You might have already have a great mentor. You can have more than one. Or you can have a range of informal mentorships or peer relationships as well can make an enormous benefit to you. So yeah. I, I think that's a really good point that you're making there. You know, I always say to my audience, reach out to all these phenomenal speakers I'm speaking to because they're expecting emails from you. So this is an open invitation. Amanda, I've just taken the liberty of saying you're going to give your email address because everyone else has prior to you. So um, to the audience, if any of the people that I'm I'm speaking with, um, if you can gain any knowledge or support from them, they would love to hear from you. And I know from uh, previous feedback from some of my other speakers that the audience, my audience is actually reaching out to them and they actually get such a zing out of it so if you get emails am I allowed to put your email address out there (laughs) now that I've just said it for everyone contact Amanda (laughs) so yes it will be in the show notes so any closing thoughts or um, remarks you want to leave the audience with Amanda absolutely look my my biggest take-home message would be get comfortable with change whether you are in control of that change or not change is happening and this will be inside of your workplace. It will be asking you to change the way that you manage your professional relationships. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself will be guided by the technology that we're utilizing. Keep a clear eye on the trajectory that you take. Um, have ownership over the choices that you make, because if you are able to understand your consequences, no matter if those consequences are good or bad, you'll be more resilient over time. Fundamentally, technology, it's the future, Nikki. So let's all be a part of it. Listen, you know what? I I can't help but feel that the field of psychology has lost you, but we've gained you. Like, because your collective experience in um, managing people and seeing what their trigger points is, this is just going to be such a bonus for, um, you know, the next growth in, in how we handle robotics and automation in Australia. So, Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Amanda. Um, Thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. To our audience, I'm going to leave Amanda's email out there. Contact her. um, And she would love to hear from you. She's based in Brisbane, but she will speak to anyone in Australia or, for that matter, across the world if you have any need of them. So, um, Thanks, Amanda. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Join us next week again and um, have a great day. 